In this episode, we're going to talk with Henry Gates about his experience in songwriting, publishing, and adventures on Broadway. So, hey, Henry, how's it going? What's going on? Thanks for having me. Yeah, anytime. So, I can't remember exactly how we met, but maybe through the Headrush group or something? It was the Headrush group on Facebook, yeah. Okay, great. And when I learned about you, uh, you know, writing songs and playing down on Broadway, that's like a whole nother world I never really got into. I've been in Tennessee for about 20, yeah, it's about 20 years. Oh, wow. And uh, went to school at MTSU and graduated from there and uh, just kind of stuck around after graduation. But I never really got into the Broadway scene. So kind of talk us through about your your musical beginnings. We'll just start from there. Cool. Yeah, so um, I actually started playing guitar when I lived in China for five years growing up. I was fourth grade to eighth grade, I think. And um, not a lot of friends that spoke English, obviously. So um, my parents got me an acoustic guitar and first they had to make me practice. And after about a year, they had to make me stop playing because I wouldn't come (laughs) eat dinner. I was just, once I got my electric and had some good sounds, I had my dad's Eagles and these classic rock compilation CDs. And that's kind of what I grew up on and what I really like. But um, that's how I started. And I'm mostly self-taught until I got to college. I went to college at Charleston and uh, minored in jazz guitar. Great. And um, cool. Met my girlfriend, Cassie, and we've had a band together called Saluda Shoals for about six years now, playing all around, based in Charleston, South Carolina, but playing around South Carolina, North Carolina, and Georgia. And we decided, if, I guess a couple of years ago, that we needed to be in Nashville, and we happened to move the day that coronavirus shut everything down. So we got here, and we were like, where's the music? What just happened? But mm-hmm. um, but uh, So it's been a crazy year, but I'm happy to be here, and... Broadway is a completely different ball game for sure, but you know we we're doing that on the side and doing a lot of writing sessions and um, writer showcases. So that's kind of our year in a nutshell. Besides hunkering down and wearing masks. So you really didn't experience like, or did you? Like, was Broadway even that busy? When we visited before we moved, we got to see how busy okay. it was. But we it, it can be pretty crazy. Down it there. can be nuts. <laughs> but um, we actually haven't been playing since it's been you know shut down so uh right it's been a little a little bit of a downer but it's still it's still getting out there and as far as the music side goes i feel like it's almost a good time because we've gotten to meet these great musicians gotten to learn and kind of you know um a lot of people sadly had to leave town because the virus hit and so we kind of got in right away you know playing on the tootsie circuit legend circuit old red bouncing around and um it's been good to get that experience and get that I want to call it training, you know, oh, yeah. just to play with other musicians and learn stuff on the fly. And you never heard the song, but if, if they throw 20 bucks in the tip jar, you better play it for them. So right, right. <laughs> just um, it's it's a wild ride, but it's fun. We're called Saluda Shoals. You can find us at salutashoalsband.com or on Instagram or iTunes, Spotify. We have our original yeah. stuff up there. But uh, yeah, she sings and I sing and play guitar. And I'll be honest, I thought I was a lead player, and then I came here and met these guys on Broadway, and I was like, no, you guys, y'all do the solos. I'm just going to play, yeah. I'm just going to sing and play rhythm. So. I'm the exact same way. I'm more <laughs> of like a blues rock kind yeah. of solo player, but I mean, I can't do chicken picking. I I've never either. been able to do any kind of country stuff. So yeah, I'm like, you like, just tell me the, the number chart, and I'll just, I'll bang out those rhythms like nobody else. Yeah, but. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes, I mean, that's all... That's all you can do, you know, yeah. you just do what you're comfortable with. And uh, as you learn and grow, I mean, I assume by even being in the same room as some of these amazing players, you kind of 
kind of learn some stuff off of them. And uh, I picked up a few things from these guys. Some of them are ten years younger than me, but they are good players. Oh yeah. So, um, but you know, like I said, I'm a I'm a lead singer first, so uh, I've got to kind of I've got a lot on my plate, anyways, with trying right. to entertain the crowd. So I don't need to be the one trying to you know play anything crazy. <laughs> so tell me about how to even get started on Broadway. How does that even work? So we were fortunate enough to have a friend, Greg Chapman, who's a great musician down there. Um, and he is also from Charleston, South Carolina. And I guess he had seen us play in Charleston. And when he saw that we posted on Facebook and Instagram that we were moving, he sent us a message and said, hey, I can get you on the, the Tootsie circuit. And he was on it at the time. He's um, he's moved on to some other things since then. But, uh, you know, that's just a good foot in the door um, for people starting out. It's kind of a... It can be a pain sometimes with all, everything you have to deal with, um, but it is a good way to get in, and we were fortunate enough to jump right in once things reopened. Yeah. We started playing acoustic shows, just me and Cassie, and that was kind of our bread and butter down in Charleston because most places outside of Nashville, they have acoustic bands during the week. So we always did acoustic during the week and then the full band on the weekends. But um, being here, it's nice to be able to do the full band any day of the week. Now, that's really cool. Yeah. Um, I think... I spoke with some other people that play down there. And doesn't Tootsie's own a lot of the bars along that strip yeah. right there? Yeah, so that was a good thing. Once we opened up, we were playing seven days a week. We had to slow it down because our voices were going out. But it's, uh, you know, there's three stages at Tootsie's, three stages at Rippy's, three stages at Honky Tonk Central, and four stages at Kid Rock's. Wow. And it's all the same booking agents. Are so. they on different levels, too? Is that yeah. why you can have so many different stages? Yep, each each floor has its own stage. It's, it's wild. Wow. Yeah, so... It's a whole different ballgame to get up and you get up at eight in the morning because you have a 10 a.m. show at Tootsie's, you know, on a Monday. It's right. It's a cool thing. And, and it's, do people, I mean, people are there, right? People are there. Yeah, it's uh, it's a it's a tourist town and there's definitely going to be people here. And we found out this fall, especially for these NFL games when the Titans oh, are playing yeah. in town. Man, there's everybody comes from all around. Especially if they team. keep winning. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Please keep winning. Just yeah, keep going. Please keep winning. Yeah. <laughs> so give me give me like a typical day for you the weird thing about booking on broadway is that it seems to be a week-to-week thing so on monday we get our schedule for tuesday through sunday okay and it's just um it's kind of fast paced it's hard to plan out that you know plan out far ahead because everything's going to come at you in in a short amount of time but um you know you might play 10 a.m to 2 p.m you might play 2 to 6 or 6 to 10 and there's usually that 10 p.m to 2 a.m slot but that's shut down right now yeah so um that takes a lot of gigs away but a typical day if we have a gig you know we get ready and uh if it's a morning show then we try to go to one of the writers rounds afterwards we've been doing a lot at uh, belcourt taps alley taps the local uh live oak we did live oak monday night that's a great writers round primetime 615 and um other than that it's just go into those even if you're not playing and networking and just asking random people that you heard play, and if you like their stuff, say, hey, do you want to set up a write? And if if they want to, you put it in your calendar. And this whole week, if I didn't have a gig, I've been writing every day with somebody new. So That's great. That's really cool. So what's the goal behind the writing at this point? Is it like trying to get a cut on an album for somebody more famous, or what does that work out for you? Yeah, um, Cassie and I, we're always going to want to play our songs but the goal, I think, is to write with other people and get your name out there on the publishing side. Mm-hmm. And I've been fortunate enough so far to write with several people that have publishing deals and actually go into the publishing company once and sit down in the office and write. And that was a really cool experience. That's cool. And so that's what you kind of want to do to get your your songs cut by 
an artist that already is established. Right. And then that yeah, would, I hate to say a famous artist because yeah. like fame is so you know whatever, but like established is a lot you know. Yeah, yeah, and these people that you know, it's it's hard for us right now just moving here to get the funds to go in the studio and put out our own stuff. But if we mm -hmm. can get some other people to pick up some songs, right, then let them do it, and you can always write more songs. So right, yeah, don't see any problem with it. I mean, sometimes the songwriter makes more money than the actual artist does. Very true. Is yeah. it not? Very true. Yeah. And you don't have to worry about going on the road and trying to support the yep. album. Yeah, like, they, can, they can do all that, and you can just stay at home and just, all right, where's my royalty check? Yeah, that's, what, that's what they call mailbox money, and I'm looking forward to it one day. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Um, are y'all signed up through ASCAP or BMI? I'm with BMI, and Cassie's with ASCAP, just so okay. we kind of covered two different sides. Okay. But um, I haven't really had any need to reach out to them too much, but I have their app and everything and put all the songs that I write up there. And... Um, yeah, so it's it's good. I got a little catalog of stuff I've written myself and then co-writes and stuff. Mm -hmm. And co-writing is totally different. Back in Charleston, I pretty much wrote by myself. And Cassie and I wrote together sometimes. But here, it's, you know, everybody wants to write with each other. And it's kind of cool. It's a little community of people that, hey, you got ideas, I got ideas. Let's see, you know, it builds on each other. And that's a really cool thing. Yeah, no, that's great. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think I'm in BMI right now with the band I used to be in. Yeah. Um, and we still get checks every quarter, so it's yeah. cool because we are in a movie that had like three songs in it. Nice. And we should be in another movie that got slowed down because of COVID, but I think mm. it's now in the back end of trying to finish everything up and get released. Yeah. I don't even know what the name of it is, but I'm like, I don't care. Our music yeah. is in it. So. <laughs> Absolutely. And anybody out there, if you have any songs that are getting any kind of airtime, you know, make sure you do BMI or ASCAP, mm -hmm. but also um, sound exchange is another thing that people yeah. miss, and that's where you're going to get some royalties, so don't let those slip away. Yeah, so let's go into those aspects. So first of all, like, is there a huge difference between, like, ASCAP and BMI? Not that I know of. Um, I know my buddy was with BMI, and he switched to ASCAP because he just said the representative that he was working with I don't know, I, somehow he ended up getting more help through ASCAP it was more of a personable experience sure and um you know maybe one day I'll encounter that but I really haven't had any need to sit down with a BMI rep or anything like that at this point and they've been nothing but good to me so that's good yeah. I'm happy with BMI yeah because they do, both do basically the same thing yeah. right yeah exactly and talk about sound exchange and exactly what they do as so, far as you know as far as I know, <laughs> and I feel like even people that run the industry don't know exactly what's happening with all this either. Right. But um, as far as I know, Sound, Sound Exchange pays quarterly. You know, if you if you go through TuneCore or CD Baby and put your music on iTunes and Spotify, then you're going to get money from that monthly, and you can go into your account and withdraw that. Sound Exchange is going to be where you're getting your writing royalties and where you can get publishing royalties, and that's paid out quarterly. So if you okay. have any kind of radio play, or it might even apply to, you know, if your song pops up on someone else's Pandora station, I'm not totally sure how Pandora works, but I believe it sound exchange is more kind of just the radio side. It's not like, you know, someone went and played your song specifically. Right, um, right. A little little hazy on that. I need to touch up on it, but I believe that's what it is. I just the same that, with Spotify and iTunes and everything else. Yeah, that's, Music, that's just going to be, you get paid for that stream through the service, either TuneCore or CD Baby. But the writers' royalties from those plays and stuff are going to be through Sound Exchange. Okay, so if you're not signed up with Sound Exchange, you need to do that. Yes. As an artist, do that like yesterday. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, because you're going to get you know just like if you sold a song on iTunes or bought a song on iTunes, 
that's kind of the way it is with a stream now. You get like whatever a tiny yeah point three cents or something, something like that for the stream. But then as the writer, you know, that's what the band is getting for having that song out there. But then that doesn't count for the writer. So if you wrote that song, then you need to sign up for Sound Exchange, and you can get writers credits and writers royalties for that as well. Okay, is it a like one time fee? How does that work? Yearly fee? I don't remember if there was any fee at all, or it might be a one time fee. Okay. Um, I would have to look into that. It's been several years since I did it, but I, yeah. I know it was just a one time thing because um, it's not a lot of money. But it, you know, every quarter I get a little bit of money from that, and uh, it's been going on for about five or six years. So. Right. Yeah. And I think uh, when I looked into the because I do a lot of stuff through DistroKid. Okay. But uh, CD Baby, they have like a CD Baby Pro now. Okay. That it's kind of like Sound Exchange. It sounds like they kind of go the extra mile of collecting other royalties that maybe DistroKid or not DistroKid, but like uh, like Spotify and Apple Music yeah. doesn't yeah pay out or something. So it's kind of like I don't know. Yeah. And again, if anybody out there, if I'm saying anything wrong, please send us a message and correct me. But <laughs> as far as I understand, you know, you click on a Apple Play, you get paid. The band gets paid for that stream, but the writers still deserve their writing um, royalties and stuff. So yeah. that's where the Sound Exchange comes in, stuff like and that. And the writer is the one that go in to sign up for Sound Exchange. Yes, and then you can, if you're, if it's all independent, you can also sign up as the publisher and get the publisher's credits too. Okay. So that's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. I took, um, it was really weird. My degree from MTSU. Cause it was, it was called music industry. I'll say like quotes, music industry. Cause I mean, the industry keeps changing. So it's oh, like yeah. what I learned 20 years ago is nothing. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there's still some aspects there, but it's, uh, you know, it's always, I mean, we didn't have streaming back then. Yeah. People were all about, I mean, I took digital marketing, of uh or mar- i took marketing of recordings class yeah which is still dealing with cds yeah so it's like <laughs> i mean i didn't graduate all that long ago but um i don't know if you guys know but like hootie and the blowfish is one of the biggest bands from south carolina oh yeah and so um mark bryan the guitarist actually taught my music business class at college of charleston wow and um he's a really cool guy but yeah by the time like you know i took that class one year and um a couple of years later, everything was completely changed with the way things, have, you know, streaming. It was, you know, you buy songs on iTunes and then a few years later, it's all just streaming and stuff. So, right. I guess the, the, the income is coming from like the people paying monthly subscriptions yeah. and advertisement. Yeah. Possibly. Yeah. Basically from all that. That's what I understand. Okay. So how many albums do you have put together at this point? Um, so I used to be with a band called Southwood, and uh, my buddy Mitchell Lee and I did all the writing. That was back when we were in college, and that's actually still streaming a lot, and um, you okay. can find that on iTunes and Spotify and stuff. We put out two EPs, and then Cassie and I with South, uh, sorry, with Saluda Shoals, we have an EP, and then we have two singles. Okay. And um, it just seems the way everything's going now, um, unless you have the capital behind you to do a full length. You know, people want instant gratification, so it's almost better to do an EP or a few singles. Yeah, you know, so um, the whole model of the of the record has changed. You know what an album is. Yeah. So um, but yeah, make sure you check us out on iTunes and Spotify and um, all the be our friend on Facebook and Instagram. Yeah, I'll be sure to uh, in the show notes. I'll be sure to put all the links. Yeah, yeah. in there so people cool. can, can check it out. Uh, well, that's another aspect that 
you know, during this whole changing of the industry is, is let's talk about, you know, full length albums versus EPs versus singles and how often you should release them stuff like yeah. that. So, you know, obviously, like you just said, doing a full length album, kind of not that different from an EP. Yeah. I mean, it's just more songs. Yeah. But if you can do an EP, then you can do a full album if you have the material there to do it. Yeah. Uh, and let's say uh, EP takes you, uh, I don't know, let's just say six months. Yeah. I don't know why I take that long, but let's just say six months to yeah. do it. Well, if you did two of those a year, well, that's basically the same as a full length album, right? Yeah. But on the other end, people don't really listen to full length albums anymore. They want singles. So <laughs> exactly, yeah, and that's the that's the catch twenty two right there because it depends on what you're going for. If, and I totally respect musicians that are putting the music out for themselves. But if you want to do a you know full length album for yourself, that's great. But if you're actually going for radio play, they want those those singles. But you know that's it's going to hit the charts. That's what they want, and it's going to probably be gone after two or three months, you know, something else right. is going to come take over. So, you know, if you look at some of these artists that are at the top now, Luke Combs and Hardy and Morgan Wall, and even during the pandemic, they're putting out a single maybe every two months. Mm -hmm. And um, and then they're hitting the charts, and it's got a lot of plays, and then the next one comes in. But um, I think Morgan Wallen is putting out a full length, which is, you know, impressive. But I, I don't know, just for us and being on a budget, it seems to make sense to do some singles to get some more recognition. And then... yeah. You know, maybe one glorious day somebody will be like, "Yeah, just do a full length album. We'll pay for it." And we'll, right. You know. Well, like I can see at this point, kind of. I can see doing a single maybe like once every two months, or maybe once a quarter, or whatever. Yeah. Then after a year or so, or, or however long it takes to accumulate any number of yeah. singles, then you could take all those singles that you know are public tested yeah pretty much like you know like which song is doing better than others then you just take just the best songs and put them on in like an ep form or exactly a form yeah and, and i think that's kind of the goal is to do um hopefully by the spring do a single and then you know maybe by, by the summer do a five or six song ep mm -hmm. and then you know kind of keep that going one or two singles then an ep or something like that yeah um and you know maybe one day we'll do a full-length album but it's not really a priority right now. Right. And I don't think the, I think it's, I don't think the mindset, like you have to do full length albums anymore, really. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love like listening to Pink Floyd, Dark Side of the Moon from start to finish. Right. But that was its own thing, that entire album. And, you know, if you just have a collection of songs and they're, they don't flow one into the other like that, then it doesn't seem to make sense not to separate them. So it's almost like you're, you can test the waters yeah of the market yeah with the singles and then kind of see which songs have a better vibe or especially if you're, if you're a young artist that don't really know your sound yeah yeah you can experiment with different singles exactly yeah and that's kind of the beauty of doing singles or even eps is that you can have you know release something that's a little more country release something that's a little more classic rock bluesy or whatever and yeah it doesn't really matter. So what do you think your sound is? Uh, that's the hardest question to answer. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I definitely, I grew up on Tom Petty, CCR, just that, you know, Southern rock kind of classic rock sound. I kind of write for anything, depending on the mood. And I, that's one of the reasons I love writing is I can sit in a room with somebody and they're like, well, I have this pop song or, you know, even R&B songs. I've had a, a rapper ask me to write a chorus for him and that was really fun. And so... Oh, yeah. 
it's kind of writing is its own thing. But as far as what we're putting out, um, we're we're classifying it as country because it's not hard rock. It's not really you know your mainstream pop right now. Um, so it's not R and B. So country is really I feel like what I considered rock and roll like Tom Petty and that kind of stuff mm-hmm. has evolved into country as far as the way guitars sound and stuff, which is what I like. So right. um, that's kind of why I consider us country, even though we're not, we're not like your typical mainstream radio country band. Yeah. Cause it's, it's kind of hard to define different genres. Yeah. Cause if you had a song, but it didn't have like a fiddle or a pedal yeah. still in it, could it be considered a rock song? Oh, yeah. I mean, you know what I mean? So it's like, as long as the instrumentation is there to define the overall sound. Exactly. I mean, the songs can kind of go either way. That's why you have like crossover yeah. hits. And so we've we've never used fiddle whatever. in any of our stuff. And if you listen to some of like the, the Jason Aldean stuff, that just sounds like 90s hard rock. So right. It's just he's got a twang on his voice, so they call it country. But Right, right. Um, so, yeah, we kind of... I guess we'd fit into like a, um, if Southern rock was still a thing, that would probably be most accurate. But uh, yeah. we do a lot of, you know, with Cassie on the vocals, a lot of Fleetwood Mac kind of harmonies. We try to go that, you know, do that kind of stuff. That's cool. Yeah, it's just hard defining certain sounds because it could really go so many different ways. <laughs> yeah, and especially, you know, being the, the artist yourself and you write all these songs and you know there's so many songs that are sort of this genre sort of this genre it's almost easier for to ask someone else to tell you what genre you are than to try to figure it out yourself right so so far in this town what are the kind of writers that you work with um i've been writing with a guy named ryan garrett with Porchlight music and i actually have a write with him tomorrow so that's going to be really cool and um a lot of it i love the the music community it's kind of it's almost like a, a class in, you know, summer camp or something. Like, everybody that showed up at the same time ends up being at the same, you know, same writer's rounds and stuff. They're kind of mm-hmm. on the same level. And you kind of find your, your clique and your, your group that is, you know, trying to get to the same place as you are. So you end up writing with them. So we've met a lot of people that are just like us trying to find publishing deals. And, um, you know, Belcourt Taps, Alley Taps, those are great places for people to get started. They have open mics, and then they have the writer's rounds once you proving yourself at the open mic. And um, so, yeah, just honestly, I'm writing with anybody I can right now. Just um, if I hear somebody and I like their music, then I'm going to ask them what they want to write. So do you enjoy the lyrical side or the music side? Which one are you better at? I am better. I would say I'm better at the lyric side. Um, and that might be because my dad is an English teacher. So yeah, just um, I just I like playing with words and, you know, trying to be creative with meanings and everything like that and just making things fit and rhyme but not be like you know how now cow like yeah it didn't have to know. be a hard rhyme yeah you know. yeah just trying to make something flow and uh i think one of the biggest things is just write it how you would say it to somebody and that's what's going to be catchy so i try to do that that's cool and, um i kind of i feel like i i'm good at writing a hook um that's kind of one of my strong points which is great, but then you know I have this cool hook and I don't don't have a story around it, so that's when right. that's when I call up some people. I'm like, all right, how's this? What's this about? <laughs> but um, but yeah. So you like starting with the, would you call it a chorus? I guess. Yeah, or? yeah, just uh, some catchy line, and I don't want anyone to ever hear the horrible things in my 
my phone's uh, voice memos because it's me driving around like hollering something oh, off yeah. key into my phone. But just some little idea they got I got to get down while I'm driving or something, and um, mm-hmm. just to get it down, and then then go home and uh, see if I can make something out of it. That's cool. Uh, what is the most interesting story you've told through song? Oh man, well they're they're depressing probably. <laughs> um, well, all the good ones are. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I guess one. Uh, and I've never released this song. I don't really play it much unless um, someone asked me to. But it's a song called uh, it's a song called Dear Mother, and I wrote it um, after having a chat with my buddy who was deployed overseas. And it was just a song about um, about a soldier who, you know, he's there to fight for his country, but he doesn't know why he's there. It's like a letter home kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just, uh, I don't know, it's just a song about, you know, those people who are so brave and, you know, representing our country so well. But um, maybe there's no need for them to be over there, you know, risking their lives and, and everything. So Right. Um. Yeah, the reason why I asked that, I mean, I, I think of uh, like a lot of Brad Paisley songs that have, some can be kind of quirky, but some can be like kind of deep and beautiful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what artist that's currently out there that you would like to write with? Man, uh, that would have to be Chris Stapleton, hands down. Cause oh, yeah? He's, I just love his style and the fact that, I guess, uh, he was in Nashville before he was on the radio himself. Um he had a band called um, Johnson Brothers, which most people haven't heard of, and it's just '90s rock with Chris Stapleton singing. It's amazing. Wow! Um, but before that, uh, did he have the beard and the long hair and all that? I don't know. I have to. <laughs> I can't really picture him without the beard, so I think so. Yeah. But, but um, he was he was known for just being somebody that was writing all the time with everybody. Like he was just running around to every publishing company, writing with everybody he possibly could, and um, you know, he was written songs for. He wrote Drake, Drink a Beer for Luke Bryan. Um, I think it was Luke Bryan. Um, he's just written so many songs for so many artists that, you know, most people don't even know it was a Chris Stapleton song, but it was. And right. so um, that's just impressive in my mind that uh, he's he was under the radar, but he was this driving force behind popular country music for a few years there. So Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah. Have you heard, there's a guy up there, Eric Pastley. Yes. Have you heard of him? Yes. So I went to MTSU with him, and right after I moved to Nashville, I, I lived in Murfreesboro for like a year or two before I moved to Nashville. Then I moved here to Smyrna. But uh, it was me and him and, and uh, like three other roommates. We all roomed together in his yeah. apartment. Uh, and at the time, he was he had a Cal 4 publishing deal. Okay. Writing for like Rascal Flats and wow. like all kinds of people. I'll say he would be a good guy to hook up with he's really cool yeah that'd be great i've heard um i've heard some of his music and heard a lot about him but i didn't know he was he was a writer you know oh yeah i, f- I feel like i found out a long time i find out most of these artists that you hear on the radio they finally break through on the radio but before that they're writers and right um i respect that so much i think his strong suit is really his voice like he just oh, has yeah. a very recognizable voice yeah uh but then you can you pair that with great songwriting it's just yeah wow it's good yeah <laughs> <laughs> and yeah he's he's fantastic and another one that i would love to write with is jason isbell because his songs are just so honest and uh yeah he's just fantastic i i can't really say i've gotten into his music a whole lot mm-hmm. probably should i just never really got into it you know yeah 
He's definitely uh, someone. If you got some time, give it a listen. <laughs> what's a uh, what's an album I should start with with Jason Isbell? Oh shoot! I gotta look up the album names. <laughs> <laughs> I'm bad with album names. Cause this, let me tell you this: it's my goal this year, at least once a month, if not like maybe once every two weeks, just to sit down on my comfortable couch mm -hmm. right here. I got you know obviously the studio monitors, yeah. so I got great sound in here. And just throw on a record and just listen to it from like start to finish. Yeah. Because I, I mean, we really don't listen to music a whole lot. I'm a big podcast guy. I'll listen to like all kinds of podcasts and yeah. whatever else. But like it's very rare I just really listen to music. Yeah. Unless I turn to like, you know, uh, like a local radio or whatever that is. Yeah. And I would say as far as his albums go... I kind of got started on listening to Jason Isbell when it was, um, he had the Nashville Sound, but Southeastern was the first one in 2013. Okay. And then Nashville Sound was 2017. But honestly, man, I would listen to Live from the Ryman that he put out in 2018. That okay. one's, it's got all the hits and he's just so good live. Um, it's it's <laughs> like, it's like the, the record, but better because it's live. <laughs> so. Yeah. Well, that's fun. I know he played at, a, I want to say he played at the Mercy Lounge. I'm sure he's played at multiple venues throughout yeah. the years, but have you heard of that place? No, Mercy I'm Lounge? still getting my bearings here in Nashville, so okay. I haven't heard of the Mercy Was It's down off of 8th Avenue. You know, like the circle of downtown? Oh, yeah. Off of uh, Korean Vets? Yes. So you go around the circle, keep going, and that's 8th Avenue. Okay. And then the Mercy Lounge is up, uh, they call it the Cannery. Oh, yeah, yeah. So okay. you got Cannery Ballroom on the first floor. Then upstairs, you have Mercy Lounge. Then across the hallway, you have the high watt. Yes. Uh, so there's okay. really three venues in one building. Yes, and um, there's actually a wedding venue there because mm -hmm. my buddy uh, my yep. buddy got married there, actually. Yep. <laughs> okay, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, the, well, the Cannery Ballroom, that's where uh, Treva, the other girl up there on my shelf. Yeah. Uh, that's where I met my wife. Oh, okay. That's awesome. At a... Uh, at the cannery so that's awesome <laughs> i'll definitely have to check that out um there's so many venues that i haven't even been able to go to i'm not sure what's open i think things are slowly starting to open but yeah um it's just been it's been sad to see all these empty venues <laughs> well i'm not really sure the status right now with everything going on but usually on monday nights i think it's once a week they have a thing called eight off eighth Okay. Is they choose eight bands or duos or single, you know, whoever they are, eight artists. Yeah. And each person gets up and just plays two songs and they just go through the night. So you might be the last, you might be in the middle. And that's at Mercy Lounge? Yeah, Mercy Lounge. It's called Eight Off Eighth. And that might be a good place to showcase a few songs. Yeah, you know? I'm going to put that down right now. I'm sure, like the listening room have you been to the listening room uh, i saw a show there it was fantastic i haven't played that one yet um we've done the freak show at the local and on this next coming tuesday we'll be at porch light pickers that's okay. also at the local um what are some of the other ones we've done um i think i mentioned live oak they have primetime 615 been doing that writer's round yeah and um really just anywhere we can we can find and, and reach out to some stuff at the Tin Roof on Demombri, and they do. Yeah. Um, they do revival and they do bus call. So we've got we've got a bus call date coming up this month. I can't remember the date, but um, okay, that'll be on our website for people to check out.
Um, a Douglas Corner? You do a Douglas Corner man, or something like that? Man, when I visited when I was 19, my grandparents sent me to Douglas Corner. It was one of the few places I could get in, you know, being underage. And I got up there. Um, they let me get up there and jam. It was some kind of Monday jam. And everyone was so good. And I found out it was actually Reba McIntyre's band. And they just did it. When they were off tour, they just had fun. There you go. And I got to jam with them. And um, it's really sad that Douglas Corner shut down. But Oh, do they? Yeah, they wow. lasted a, a month or two into the pandemic, and they were gone. So Wow. Yeah, this pandemic has hit the music industry really hard. I just wonder how you bounce back from something like that. I mean, do they... Do they just give up the rent on the on the on the location and I don't know. I, I really do not know either. Um I know some people that were renting out houses or sorry, they owned houses that they were doing Airbnb with, but they were renting a house here. They had to give up their house here and move into their Airbnb house because right. you know, you got a mortgage or you got a rent. The mortgage is more important. So Right. It's just been a, a very strange year. That is crazy. All right. Well let's talk about gear. Yeah, I like it. <laughs> you know a lot more than I do, but I'll try to keep up. I'm a gear guy. Well, let's uh, let's just start off with like your guitars. I mean, what do you? What's your axe that you throw around? I, I like changing it up, and I have. I feel like I have a lot of pretty good guitars. I need to, you know, maybe sell a couple and get a really nice guitar. But for what I do, I'm I'm happy with it, and I like the flexibility and yeah, the fun and picking up a different guitar every time if I want to. But um. I have two tellies. I've got a um, a Roadworn Telecaster. Those are great. And I like that one a lot. And then I have a, um, it's actually a custom Telecaster. I put it together. It's a Highway 1 body with a Warmoth custom neck. And um, I actually found this little tiny guitar that was called a Decca at a pawn shop. Mm-hmm. And it was 30 bucks, and it was finished was all checking. No trust rod or anything, but it had a Tiesco gold foil in it. So I popped that out and routed out the um, the neck pickup cavity of this telecaster and i popped it in there so i, I love the sound of that vintage gold that's foil cool. in there so those are the so two it's almost worth buying the guitar just for the pickup that's exactly what i did it was 30 <laughs> bucks and i got the pickup <laughs> um and then um i've kind of been on a prs kick lately i just love the way they play and the flexibility of the coil tapping but um i've got the s2 vila which is really cool it's got the fat humbucker and then mm-hmm. it's got the single coil in the neck and then i recently picked up a um an se so the standard 24 is just kind of a yeah this you know it's a basic one but um i really like it it's actually taken apart right now because something was wired wrong where when i tried to coil tap it it was one or the other i had humbucker and single or or vice versa and right. it should be single coil on both of them when you pull right. that coil tap so um so that could be a cool sound though it was, it was pretty cool but um i just wanted to get a full single coil sound and so that's taken apart right now and if i mess up the soldering because i'm not great at that then i'll take it to the shop but <laughs> you can just bring it here i can help you with it okay awesome <laughs> i love working my guitar tech and uh charleston would get so annoyed with me because he like he's like what did you do and i was like i don't know i like trying to fix stuff but i'm not great at it so right i messed it up i'm paying you <laughs> so um but those are my main electric guitars and then acoustic i'm a big fan of breed love so i have two breed loves okay and then um i have an old blue ridge that's my best sounding acoustic guitar Someone actually enlarged the sound hole, so it's got a giant sound hole. And I was having a lot of feedback problems with it, but I actually yesterday I put a pickup system back in it, and I'm going to try it again. Um, the thing is, you can't put a feedback buster in there because it's a giant sound yeah, hole. Yeah, so. big, yeah. But that's like been my main writing guitar for about five or six years. It's like a, it's a Martin like D28 copy, basically, mm-hmm. and it just sounds really full. So That's cool. What kind of pickup did you put in it? Um, it's, a, it's one that I had a, for a while sitting around. It's the LR Bags iMix system. 
Okay. So it's got the I-beam microphone underneath, and then it's got the under-saddle element pickup. And you can blend between them to get either the, more of the mic or more of the under-saddle pickup. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. That's good. It's a, it's a nice pickup. It's a little older, but um, I always liked it. Right. I'm kind of in a... I'm in a dilemma right now. I have a Sigma acoustic I've had pretty much for 25 years. Yeah. It was, like, it was my first real acoustic. I started on like a student, like three-quarter size. But yeah. I was like 14, and then a year later, I bumped up to a, a Sigma. But like the frets, I've had so many fret dresses on it that it needs new frets. And the pickup systems never really sounded all that great. Yeah. So for really about the same money as what I could buy a new acoustic... I could just fix the old one. So that's kind of my dilemma. It's like, yeah. do I fix the old one? Do I buy a new one? It's like, Man, I don't I have that same problem with so many guitars. Like, do I upgrade these pickups or do I, you know, sell the whole thing? Um, I would just say it depends on what you like. You know, I really don't care what's on the headstock as long as you like the way it plays and the way yeah, it sounds. I mean, the guitar sounded, has always sounded yeah. great. And I had to, with playing like five acoustic shows a week for three or four years, I had to get the first seven frets on my uh, my main breed love redone in stainless steel just because oh, yeah. I was wearing them down so much, but um and that's where you play all your chords exactly anyway, yeah so. so yeah I wasn't wearing down the twelfth fret or anything so yeah just uh, save a little money <laughs> taking there. an acoustic solo up there yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah pretty much um but no I, I actually really like the breed loves they um for the price I feel like they're they're great and their pickups are good as good as well okay so. and what models do you have I. The Come on, you should know, know. this. <laughs> <laughs> Let me see. Because I was at Guitar Center uh, last fall going into like early spring, right before the yeah. pandemic hit. So I, you know, I got to mess around with a lot of different guitars and whatnot. And uh, I, mean, I, I like the Breed Loves. Yeah. There's like one, this guy like swore by. I can't remember the model of it though, but I don't know. It's really weird. Like at a certain point, acoustics i won't say they sound the same but like they're so similar yeah especially in like a certain price range mm -hmm. like i don't like to spend more than a thousand dollars on anything really. oh yeah absolutely it's like if i can get it in like the 500 range i mean that's great you know yeah um and really once you get into that range it's like all right well this one has a little bit more bass this one's more mid-range heavy yeah you know, I believe I think mine was uh, my main breed love is the Pursuit Concert, okay. and that's a picture of um mine's not the Koa, but um that looks like it's about right and uh, yeah it has a really nice pickup system, I think it's LR bags that's in it, and breed love support was great. Um, my preamp actually went out, and I called them and four days later they sent me a brand new preamp, no questions asked. So that yeah, was really really cool. Really cool. Yeah, a guy I worked with, I was at uh, I was at Gibson Guitars in the in the mill room for like ten years. Oh wow! And one of the guys I worked with there went on. He moved to Washington. I yep. think that's where Breedlove is. Yep, Washington he, he's State. He's like the head over Breedlove right now. That's Not awesome. Not the head over it, but like he's he's like really up there in like the head over manufacturing or something. Oh, cool. He's like probably your age. So. Oh, cool. Really cool. Good gig for him. But uh, uh but yeah, I mean Breedloves are respectable guitar <laughs> yeah i mean i just feel like i mean obviously there's some amazing martins and taylors and of course gibson's out there but for the price you know i think if you if you spent 800 dollars on a on a breed love you're gonna get more guitar than if you spent 800 dollars on an entry level you know right martin or something like that or yamaha or yeah yeah whatever 
Yeah. All right. Well, I have to. I have to try some out there. Yeah. <laughs> and what about your amp? Um, well, it's funny. I've got um, some amps just sitting there now since I've switched to the headrest pedal board. Um, right. I love that thing. But so one of my, I guess my favorite amp to play through is the Fender Deluxe Reverb, just because it's the 22 watts and it's super clean. I like that a lot. Um, I've also got a, a 70s Fender Champ, and I've got a Mesa F30 with the 112 closeback extension cab, which is a cool little amp. It's, yeah. You don't see them all the time. But those are just kind of, I'll mess with them when I'm at home, but it's, especially on Broadway, it's so fast-paced switching over stages, you know, with different bands. It's just so easy to bring the headrest, set it down, and you have all the amps at your feet. Right. That's yeah. really cool. So usually you just have the headrest going direct, and then they pipe the sound back at you through the floor wedge. Um, they'll pu they'll pump it around. I'm I'm usually using ears since I'm okay. I'm a lead singer as well. So um, I'm usually using they have a pack and everything for me. So I just bring my earbuds and plug in, and it sounds great. So so each so let me get this straight. Each venue has their own like wireless yes. setup. Yeah, that's really and cool. Not everyone. Some of them will have one pack for the lead singer. Some will have to some have all some have five packs for the whole band it just right. kind of depends on which venue you're at wow but being the singer i usually am the one that takes the pack just so i can hear myself better right and um you know i don't i don't really need the wedges with that so it's a it's great to just run direct you don't have to worry about feedback problems and stage volume being too loud mm -hmm. so the sound guy can just handle all that no that's great yeah that's really cool so what made you choose a head rush just in general, not even like other digital modelers, but just like, what was it about digital modeling in the headrush that appealed to you? So I've been hearing a lot about digital modelers, um, especially once people started, you know, the Kemper came out and people started using IRs and everything. And everybody remembers those little, those little pod things that look like a kidney. Oh yeah. And, um, they just couldn't quite get the sound, but I was hearing some amazing sounds coming from people that were running direct. Um, including even just um, the Carl Martin Rock Bug, mm -hmm. which is just a little analog thing, I think, and right. whatever whatever it does, it sounds fantastic. Um, but I think it was when one of my buddies here, he's he's done some work with Alabama, and he told me that the only sound coming from the stage is the drum set because everybody is running modelers and everybody's running direct into the in ears. So yeah, their their sound out front is amazing because they don't have to compete with any stage noise coming out into the crowd um so that and was and it's consistent every single yeah, night you it's know? consistent every night you save it you've got your presets you've got your set list whatever you know different amp different song if you want to um and so then i went to i think i tested them out at guitar center and in my my price range was between the the helix lt i think mm -hmm. and the and the head rush and just man that touch screen's so convenient um, it's amazing i love it <laughs> yeah and you know i'll, I'll still get <laughs> someone will get on me be like stop fiddling with your pedal board on stage but you know it's so much more intuitive when you do have to fix something to reach down or you can do the hands-free mode you know and all these people that have the helix they have to go home and hook up to their computer <laughs> to do the tweaking i feel like so right um because um, i have a hx effects right here in front of me yeah and i know it so well i mean i can just you can it's do it pretty on there, quick yeah. and easy to you can just tap the button, change something, and just hit save, and okay. you're good. You know, it's pretty nice, pretty quick. So really, just digital modeling is there for like convenience factor. Yeah, really. Yeah, basically that's what it is. And um, you know, sometimes on these Broadway shows, you'll you'll play a double. Somebody will call and be like, "Hey, Bandit, show up. Can you, you know, you're playing till 
145, can you come over to this place and start at two o'clock? And so with the head rush, I just throw it in a backpack. I pick up my guitar and, you know, everything's there. And uh, some of these other guys are wheeling around. <laughs> they have, you know, the dollies yeah. with, you know, 50 pound amps and stuff. And I just don't see the point in that anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, amps are great for the studio and even an amp like this. I mean, this is a blue guitar amp one. Okay. Sorry, sorry, podcast listeners, you can't see what we're talking about, but just look at Blue Guitar Amp One. This is an amplifier. It's got a preamp, power amp, just oh, like cool. a regular amp. But it's a, some companies have gone to like the Strumming Iridium. It's basically an amp in a box. I mean, it is an amp, but it's yeah. a, in pedal form. Uh, Quilter makes. You talking about the power amp, basically? Well, I mean, it is an amp. Oh, okay. I mean, yeah. Some people look at this as like, oh, what's your preamp? No, this is an amplifier. Ah, I got you. It's got a tube right there in the power section. It's got speaker out. That's awesome. Just like a regular amplifier. Yeah. So if you want to use an amp, there are options for that. Yeah. You know, that can actually fit on your pedal board. You know, I have a HX Stomp right here I got about a month ago that obviously has amp models in it. So yeah. if you had your pedal board, but you still wanted to go direct... That's another great option as yeah. well. It's like, cause it's pedal size. That's awesome. It didn't take up lots of room. And, you know, I mean, just the, we're just spoiled. <laughs> we <laughs> are. Like, hey man. No everything more. we have available today. Like I've owned 31 amplifiers over the years. Yeah. Not cause I need it. Cause like, I just trying different stuff, you know, so I'd, go, I've, I'd, yep, I'd have them a out. Fender, I'd have a Marshall, I'd have a, a dual rack as a boogie, yeah. Uh, orange, orange head with the four by twelve cab, mm -hmm. which I lived in an apartment at the time. Why do I need that? You know. <laughs> I remember. Um, oh my gosh, it's embarrassing now. But as a, when I was like seven, sixteen, seventeen, playing in a hard rock band, I had like a PV. Was it like the Bandit One Twelve? Mm -hmm. But I would sit that on top of this. I thought I needed a four four twelve cab, so I would sit on top of this Behringer four twelve cab that somehow fit in the back of my crappy Oldsmobile. Only if you took the wheels off, I'd slide it in the back seat and everything. Right, and the casters off or yeah, whatever. Man, it was a uh, slugging a lot of stuff around, and you don't got to do that anymore. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's what I was saying. I was like in the studio. I mean, even I mean, I have a gig board right here. I mean, most of the projects I produce, I don't use any amps. Yeah. Like the only mics I use is for a vocal and a mic in front of an acoustic guitar and everything else is like virtual pianos. I got, you know, electronic drum kits or the superior drummer in the computer. That's awesome. All the bass sounds are just from the, the Headrush amp. Yeah. You know, bass amp. And and I'm not a bass player, but I have heard that I haven't messed with the bass amps on there, but I have heard great. good things about them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, plug in a bass and it sounds good, you yeah. know? So that's, that's what's great about the modeling is like whatever you record with, now you can take the same exact sound to your to the stage and everything's just consistent. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Especially if you're running in-ears. Yeah. It's like I see guys trying to figure out, I was like, oh, well, should I get a, a Headrush 108 speaker or even a 112? Yeah. Like an FRFR kind of setup. Mm -hmm. Or should I get an amp and use a four cable method or should I just whatever? It's like, well, one, if you're using in-ears, you're not really going to hear the amp on the stage anyways. Exactly. Yeah. So what does it matter? 
And I, <laughs> I personally, I'm not knocking anybody, but I don't see the point in switching to a digital, you know, modeler and then carrying speakers in because, you know, you'd be carrying an amp in otherwise. And especially, you know, something like we actually use the CAD audio wireless in-ear systems. And I think they run like $399 and mm-hmm. you should buy better earbuds. But I feel like most entry-level in-ears are going to be like that, buy better earbuds. But, um... You know, for 400 bucks, you can have wireless in-ears, and your sound's going to be so much better, especially if you're a vocalist. Um, it's just it's absolutely changed the way we played instead That's of trying right. to crank up on stage and worry about feedback from monitors and everything. Right. Yeah, I think the silent stage just wins every time. And you can actually lean over and talk to somebody if you need to say something. You don't have to do the talkback mic and all that. Right. No, that's really cool. All right, so we got a new year. So what's the what's the goal this year? Uh, the, the goal right now is to write, 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 and, um, you know, hopefully looking at a publishing deal, get some of our songs out there on the market, play as much as possible. I'm hoping once these venues start opening up, we'll be able to, to do more of our own shows. You know, Broadway is, is covers, but we have been able to do a few showcases for our band Saluda Shoals at Alley Tap, specifically downtown. We've done two there so far. Okay. And that was cool to just even be able to do that during the whole pandemic. But I'm hoping with more venues opening up, there'll be more opportunities for us to play our music out there. Right. And yeah, that's it. I mean, the reason we moved to Nashville is because networking is key in this industry. So right. it's all about saying yes to strange situations and just seeing where they go and who you meet and stuff like that. Hope it works out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I haven't had anything too weird yet, so that's good. Yeah. Well, that's great. Well, I say just keep doing what you've been doing and... You know, success isn't made overnight. You know, it's, it's oh, got to right. be, you got to be in for the long run. Yep. I mean, you're still relatively young, so it's not like you're 50 and trying to do this, you know. Yeah. Which I'm sure there are some 50-year-olds out there trying to ride and yeah. do stuff. But, yeah. you know, I'll say you got, you got time on your side to kind of build, build up your networking, build up your career. Exactly. And just be known for making good music really yep nobody ever pretended nashville would be easy but uh we we came to music city to you know try to further our career and do something different than playing the same same bars we had been for you know the past three years or so so um i'm looking forward to what the new year brings that's great so i'd like to thank henry for coming on the podcast and i will be sure to leave all his information down in the description and in the show notes of this episode if you are listening on YouTube, be sure to subscribe and click that bell so you'll be notified the next time we release a new episode. And if you want to make more music here in 2021, then start writing every day just like Henry and don't let anything get in front of your dreams. So I am Dr. McFarland. I will see you in the next episode. Keep rocking.